Hallelujah. I want to title the sermon today, The Rightful King Has Landed. When I was a little girl, well, I wasn't so little. I was, Amy was two, so I wasn't that little. I was younger. I was less than 30. Amy was two years old, and Apollo 11 landed on the moon. We watched television while Neil Armstrong gets out, he goes, one small step for mankind. One small step for man, excuse me. One giant leap for mankind. C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, we're living in enemy-occupied territory. That's what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say in disguise, and he is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. So our rightful king landed. When Jesus was born, the rightful king landed on earth. And it's been a campaign of takeover ever since that time. When Jesus was here and he was leaving, he said, I want you guys to occupy till I come. Occupy is not just sit back, as pastor used to tell us, sit in front of the fan, sit back and, and relax and do nothing. This occupation is a battle. It's not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle with unseen forces. The rightful king landed when Jesus was born. He left this earth and he gave us a task in, after he left. Ephesians chapter 6. These are the scriptures I'm going to use today. I'm going to read through Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20. Uh, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I don't like to talk about the devil. I mean, lots of us say, well, I don't like to talk about the devil. But there's just an issue about that. I don't like to talk about the devil either. Ugh. I don't like to talk about being overweight. Ugh. But... <laughs> There are things you just have to talk about sometimes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, take the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and just stand there like this, and get your picture taken. It's time for a photo op. You're all dressed up. You know, your things that conduct electricity need insulation. The wiring in your house is a copper wire. Two copper wires, actually. 
But if those copper wires were not separated by the insulation that surrounds them, you probably have a fire in your house. There has to be insulation. In your body, your, whole, your body is working off of these wonderful uh, nerve pathways. And it, the nerve, a nerve has on it a sheath. The myelin sheath is covered with this covering to protect it because it's sending electrical signals in your body. And so it has to be protected. So we're not just being dressed up for, ba up for battle. Who's got a really good camera on their phone? Uh, take a picture of me. I'm a warrior for God. We get our nerve... <laughs> the thing that's going to conduct the power of God into the earth, we have it shielded and protected by the things that God said to shield and protect with what's going to be bringing heaven to earth. The power of God is not, well, it can come any kinds of ways. I guess it comes because God is God. He is, after all, sovereign. But the way he has said to, he's going to primarily do this is through the agency of the church. And we're going to be the ones who are bringing heaven to earth. We're going to be conducting, so to speak, bringing, drawing heaven out of heaven and into earth. And it's going to be coming through us. It won't be coming through us while we're all set up on a shelf, all dressed up in all our armor with, you know, leg over the side like elf on a shelf. We're not going to be photo ops for God. Once you get yourself shielded, and when this place of the conducting of the power of God is shielded up proper, then the scripture says in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, praying... Always. You're shielding up. You're preparing yourself for prayer. That is the work of the church. Jesus cleaned house. He came in and he saw they just made merchandise out of the things of God. In many generations you could say they've made merchandise out of the things of God. And he came in and saw that. And said, I've, I've had this, not, none of this, none of this. He overturned the tables of the money changers. Doves are flying everywhere. People are losing their income. Just like the people in Ephesians, how upset they got. Because Christians came and screwed up the temple of Diana of the Ephesians. How, how they were losing, the coppersmiths that were making idols were losing revenue. So Jesus said, out of here. This is not a place for commerce. This is a place for deliverance from devils. And this is a place for healing of bodies. And this is a place where tormented people with no peace of mind or heart can meet with God. This is a house of prayer. This is a place where God will activate and move to move in the nations as his heart is. So when we're all shielded up and ready, it's not for photo ops and, and looks. and not about commerce. It is about prayer. Get your electrical power of God conductor self, your inside self, your spirit man, which is sensitive. 
Get it shielded with the things God says to shield it with. And then stand. And having done all, stand. And while you're standing there, don't expect just to be praised that you're standing there praying. Jesus said, when you're done, we're not going to be doing big shouts of praise for you. You will have done what I told you to do. Being a prayer is not, oh my, that person is a prayer. Kathy Gauthier is a, a prayer. She's like a, some kind of a special Christian. It doesn't say here, hello, this is the Apostle Paul letting all the special Christians know this is how you do this. This is the work of the church. This is the primary thing, activity. Call of God. Praying always. Pray. I want you to just take note of what this verse says. I'm not going to get into it too much, but in the future I will. Praying always with all prayer. Some translations say all kinds of prayer. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then Paul said, and for me that utterance may be given to me. You know, on Saturday nights in I think 500 men gathered in the tabernacle and prayed for what Spurgeon would be speaking on Sunday. They prayed for utterance to be given. For You know, you can stand and talk. I can stand here and say all kinds of sophistry and stuff. But if the Spirit doesn't open hearts and minds, and if utterance isn't really given by the Spirit, it'll be like, oh dear, not another one of those. All the ADHD people will be playing Angry Birds <laughs> and Candy Crush and trying to keep their focus. So this is the work of the church. Jesus said... Concerning his kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, I want you all to listen to this. This is very, very important stuff for us as a body and where we're going. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my people would fight. You're in the world, not of the world. This is not eternal words. It's the core reality of our task on the earth. We move forward on our knees. Well, here we are. The rightful king landed. And he left. And he left us as his occupying force. But see, he's still here because he's in us. By the Spirit, the rightful king is here. And the rightful king is exercising his authority in us. He's having us pray. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we have this charge before us to be those people that are bringing the power of God out of heaven and into earth. But we do this on our knees. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again. He called Jesus and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking this from yourself, or did somebody tell you to say this? I just love the things Jesus said to people. Did you say that, or did somebody tell you to say that? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? 
Look, your own nation delivered you up to me and the chief priest. And Jesus then said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of the world, of this world, my servants would fight. So that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You know, you have a citizenship that is higher than your U.S. citizenship. We have some people in the room that recently became U.S. citizens, but you know you have a citizenship higher. I know these people know this. You have a citizenship that is heaven. We're here, but we're not from here. So when someone says to you, you know, where are you from? Say, I'm not from here. <laughs> I, that's a good, I'm not from here. You're here, but you're not from here. So I want to talk to you today about how we move in prayer and in intercession. And I want to read you a story about a fella. And I'm just going to read the story to you. I realize that preaching people tell you. It's not a long story. You won't be falling asleep. And if Fran falls asleep, Mike, punch her. <laughs> Raymond Edmund was dying of typhus fever at the age of 25 in the jungles of Ecuador. His doctor, a specialist in tropical diseases, had advised Raymond's wife to start preparing for his funeral. So men were making ready his coffin, and Edith, his wife, was busy dyeing her wedding dress black. This is the scene. But that same day, 3,000 miles north of Ecuador, in Massachusetts, Raymond's Uncle Joe became deeply, explicitly troubled. He knew nothing of his nephew's actual predicament and couldn't shake the sense that he was in some kind of grave danger. Joe, who was attending a conference at the time, felt so stirred that he persuaded the 200 participants of the conference to join him in urgent intercession for Raymond to be delivered from evil even though none of them knew the nature of the evil that they were fighting. Hear me. This is what we have in front of us, intercession and prayer. We are his occupying force, and we have no idea what he will put before us to do. Deliver from evil that none of them knew what the evil was that they were fighting. The conference rose up. They prayed so fervently that years later, some of those that were present recalled the intensity of the prayer that rose up among these people. They were consumed with a sense of imminent danger. Now that was the Holy Spirit because none of them knew one thing. They could not be consumed with a sense of imminent danger because they knew anything about the fellow. Raymond's circumstance was unknown. They fasted from lunch. They didn't go for lunch. They w didn't eat lunch. They continued interceding until the middle of the afternoon, at which point a great peace settled on them, and the sense of danger subsided. 
Have any of y'all ever prayed in intercession where you just in travail and then it would lift? And you knew because you knew that you had the assurance, you had the answer. You can take that to the bank, I'm telling you now, when the peace of God comes like that. At which point the peace settled on them. The sense of danger subsided. However, they knew nothing of the prayers that had been heard. They didn't know anything about Raymond Edmund far away in Ecuador that he had been delivered. Meanwhile, Raymond had fallen unconscious. And in his comatose state, he became aware of a, of a loving presence. They're up there praying in sense of imminent danger, knowing nothing. God has them on assignment. He had, was aware of a loving presence slowly entering the room, rising from the ground to the level of his bed and eventually filling the building. I experienced, this is what he said, I experienced a sweet sense of the love of God in Christ, such as I have never known before in all the years of my life, he recalled. It is sufficient to say that I have no fear of dying. He felt himself ascending with great joy until a quiet voice told him to return. He was going. And the Lord said, no, return. You got to go back. Sorry, can't take you today. Until a quiet voice told him to return. To the amazement of those preparing the funeral, they're making the coffin. She's, now she's ruined her wedding dress, dyed it black. Uh, Raymond regained consciousness and was completely healed. In later life, he would become the president of Wheaton College and a mentor to the great evangelist Billy Graham. We will never know the full evaluation of his life and ministry until we stand at, until we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, Billy Graham said. But still, I have to say, he was the most unforgettable Christian I ever met. Now, I believe that Raymond lived, mentored Billy Graham, and did what he did in his lifetime because of the people in Massachusetts. Because of the people in Massachusetts. Because they, they were able to sense and hear the Spirit's job for them and they yielded into it. Do you know how easy it would be to say, well, we can't pray right now. This is a conference. This is a convention. This is not, it doesn't say on the thing, it's time for the convention people to pray right now. We can't pray right now. And passed on that entirely. And the whole course of it could be altogether different. And who knows? What kind of anointing and impact a person who had been in that sort of anointing with Jesus going into heaven and coming back had an impartation into Billy Graham's life. And so surely he has a part in the millions of souls that were won by Billy Graham. In the scripture, the Old Testament, there's a great story of intercession. It's in Genesis, Genesis 14. 
It's a taking of Abraham's nephew, Lot. It's actually, I think, the most clear picture of intercession uh, in the Bible, in the sense of, of how it involves not just that Abraham heard it, but that he responded. Now, Abraham did not get a, a message from, from the Spirit. He got a message from some people. You know that Abraham and Lot had a disagreement. And they, were, they grew so big that they just got into a disagreement. So uh, Abraham, they decided to separate. Lot was with Abraham, and so they decided to separate Lot and his herdsmen from Abraham. And, and so when they were doing that separation piece, Abraham said, uh, uh, he, he let Lot go. And so Lot went to um, a place later. Lot is in a place called Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, in this situation, Lot is with uh, the king of Sodom. And there's like these four kings from China and some different places. These four from the Far East. These four kings came, and they attacked the five kings where Lot was hanging out. And Lot got taken as spoil. And someone who escaped the battle came and told Abraham, your nephew, Lot's been taken by these people. And so Abraham uh, didn't say, well, let me just see what I can do here. He was ready. He had uh, 318 servants already trained in his house. <laughs> he had people that were already trained and ready to go. And he said, okay, we're going to go get him. So he goes to get uh, Lot. He goes to save the day. I don't know if they played the little song, Here, I am to save the day. Uh, I don't know that they played that. I doubt they did. I don't think they had that back in that time. But they go out, and Abraham defeats, he and the 318 servants defeat and take the spoil of everything. And so there they are with the, with the spoil and, and the win. And when, when the win is over and Abraham has saved his nephew, because the prayer of intercession and spiritual warfare, we think spiritual warfare is primarily about us. Spiritual warfare is about whatever God makes it be about. For those people in Massachusetts, they were at that conference to learn something. Probably there was a minister's conference or something like that. And they were there to gather information and learn things. Uh, to be good Christians. And God had another plan for them because of somebody else. And so your prayer life will not necessarily be about you. It could be about somebody you know nothing of. Most of the people in that room right there, well, I guess pretty much many of them, didn't know uh, Raymond. He was Joe's relative. He was a relative of one person there. And they were going to bat for someone they didn't even know. Well, Abraham knew Lot. It was his brother's son, which made it his son also in uh, that culture. And so um, 
He went after him because he was told he's been taken. This is our job in the body of Christ. We are the occupying army to get people out of crazy. How I love where they fell, where they, where they were defeated and, and uh, Lot was taken. It, the scripture says it was in a slime pit. That's like a word now. You're like, oh, you were slimed. This person slimed you or you've been slimed. Well, so he was actually taken in a slime pit. I want to tell you that people in this world right now, lots of people, many, many people are in conflict, hurting, lonely, frustrated, helpless, in a slime pit, bound in addictions and lost to God and to their own selves, what they want to be, who they feel they are. They're captive, as Lot was captive. And God sent a messenger to Abraham and said, Just, your brother's son's been taken. And Abraham, I'm going after him. And so in prayer, it is our job to go after those who've fallen in the slime pit. It is our job to go after those that have been taken and are captive. Setting captives free, Isaiah 61. And Jesus, on the first day he went into a synagogue, picked up the Bible and started talking the scroll of Isaiah said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to set the captives free intercession is spiritual warfare for setting captives free it's not for entertainment of Christians it's work and business of war that we are in a war we are in a place Oswald Chambers said we're in a war zone we are. So this is what's wonderful about intercession. When he saved him, when he got through saving him, Melchizedek came out. I want to just uh, give you a couple of verses to put in your notes that I'll just skim over a little bit. The whole chapter of Hebrews 7 and Psalm 110 verse 4, which is our psalm. It's the resurrection psalm. It's a psalm for new life. And the fourth verse says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the newer translations, it may not say after the order of Melchizedek. In the Hebrew, it has Melchizedek. The, this man was a priest. He had no beginning. He just appeared. He came out to meet him after he had completed this task. Now I'm thinking that in Massachusetts, when that group of 200 people felt the peace of God come to them as they were praying for Raymond in Ecuador, that Melchizedek came in that room to meet them. 
And when he came to Abraham, he brought bread and wine. And in um, many people, most people, and I personally think, not a Christ, this is a the Christ in the Old Testament appearing to Abraham and saying, this is my body, this is my blood. He brought to him refreshment of himself. When you're in the ministry of, of intercession, when you're involved in intercession, you're not in there by yourself. You're praying with, being with, being refreshed by the one that Hebrews 7 says ever lives to make intercession. I saw something in this I just hadn't really seen before. The king of Sodom was actually there. The king of Sodom was there with Abraham. When Melchizedek came out. That just fascinated me to think about what happened after that, which was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the horrors of what Sodom and Gomorrah was and what they stood for and how Abraham had to go to bat again for Lot and pray him out of absolute death because after this happened, he saves him. Then he's there in Sodom with the king of Sodom when God's raining down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. But those people were there when Melchizedek came out. Was, did he see him? Did he watch him give Abraham the bread and wine? Did he see Abraham give him a tenth of all that he had? First tenth, first tithe was given before the law was given. Abraham brought the tenth and gave it to the one who ever lives to make intercession. You're a priest forever. And yet, Hebrews 7 says in verse 15, And yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 110, verse 4. For on the one hand, there's an annulling of this former commandment because of the weakness and the unprofitableness of it. For the law made nothing perfect. The Aaronic priesthood tended to the sacrifices and the prayers and the intercession of the law. But not so. Jesus Christ is not from Aaron. Jesus Christ is from the tribe of Judah. And he rose up. A, a tribe that was a priestly tribe. He came after the order of Melchizedek. He came from this other realm. He came and is a priest because of the power of his endless life, the scripture tells us. He ever lives to make intercession. He had no sin. He's perfect. He doesn't ever have to pray for himself before he starts praying. Think about that. Think how long it takes you to pray you out of you. Get your sins covered. Get blah, blah, blah. Get yourself to where you can actually enter into something other than praying for yourself and getting yourself straightened out. When Jesus comes for intercession, he doesn't have to do any of that. He's perfect. And he's ever living. And he just gets and so what by the Spirit he's calling us to do is to enter into this, this intercession that is his heart. 
And inasmuch, verse 20 of Hebrews 7, as he is now, is not made a priest according to an oath, because these other priests, they were made by oaths. But the Lord has sworn, and he will not relent. You're an or, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. By so much more was Jesus a surety of a better covenant. Now they're priests, because they die, they have to keep getting a new one. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him, since he always lives to make intercession. For such a high priest was fitting for us. Why, Jesus? Why is such a high priest fitting for us? Why not a sinner type priest like Aaron and those guys? Because he was holy. Because he was harmless. Because he was undefiled. Because he was separate from sinners. He became higher than the heavens. And he does not need daily as the other priests to offer sacrifices, as I just said to you. But he is appointed to the priesthood, the son who is perfected forever and is a priest forever because of the power of his endless life. When he was set in to that priesthood, when the father made that a reality before the foundation of the world, it was because of his perfection, his holiness, and the fact that he lives forever. So this is our team leader. When we enter into prayer, when we're entering into the prayer that we'll be uh, increasing throughout this year, this is our team leader this ever-living, perfect intercessor who will be instructing us by the Holy Spirit and giving us prayers to pray of the Holy Spirit. I want to end this sermon with something very practical. I want to land this plane. In the day when Constantine made the Roman Empire Christian, Roman pagan temples were turned Roman pagan holidays became Christian holidays. They just Christianized the Roman pagan world. And during that space of time, there was so much compromise and co-opting of the place of intercession and prayer that a group of people called the Desert Fathers and Mothers left. They went out. They went into the desert. That's why they're called the Desert Fathers and Mothers. They left. Thomas Merton, describing these missional communities that they created in the desert, said, They knew they were helpless to do any good as long as they floundered in the wreckage of what had happened. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, things were different. Then they had only the power of obligation 
to pull the world in after them. So they escaped into a place of prayer. And I'm not saying we're going to like escape into a place of prayer and not do all kinds of stuff. They escaped into a place of prayer and they had an obligation, they felt, when they got in that place of intercession and prayer to pull the world in out of and behind them. God is calling on his church to get a solid, I love the way he said this because he had given me this word about faith being a place to step your foot. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, when they re realized and were there in the place where God wanted them to be, and they begin to pray and begin to seek God, then they are the people that out of northern Africa and those places, out of the desert of Syria and those places, evangelized Ireland. So before the Roman church got up into England and Ireland to Canterbury, already there were those in Ireland that were seeking God, loving God, having real Holy Ghost church in Ireland, that that area had been evangelized. So they weren't, I'm telling you that so you know, they weren't hiding out in the desert. They were praying, seeking God. This is part of church history. God is calling us to prayer. God is calling us to get a foothold on solid ground and then pull the whole world in after us. <laughs> he is calling us into the kingdom that is in but not of. He said, you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he's calling us to function in this kingdom that is in the world but not of the world. And so, in closing, I'm going to do what most people would do in the sermon. I'm going to give you three points. <laughs> how to fight. And this is from uh, Pete Gregg's book on how to pray, A Guide for Normal People. How to fight. So when you're, you're, we're called to this battle. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We're in a place where there is war. There will never not be war. Someone that uh, I care about very much is, uh, is facing a very serious uh, diagnosis that has, has deadlines on it. Terminal. Space of time, you have this long. And the person is a worshiper and a lover of God. And just grappling with, I don't like to fight. I'm not a fighter, I don't like to fight. How we fight is in the hands of the Holy Spirit. When we're fighting, we can't have fight in us like we're of the world. People of the world fight. All you got to do is just listen to the news. Any side of the news, any piece of the news, anywhere, just turn it on, click it on, and you're like, whoa, because the world is fighting. We're not in that fight. We are not in the fight that is a fight that is of the world, in the, of the world. We're in a fight that is of heaven in the world. And so when we're fighting, we're not fighting in the same way that people are fighting that are of the world. We're in but not of. And I always keep this in mind because if you get tripped up in it, then you'll think, oh gosh, why did I get tripped up in that? Um, but if you have a person, if you have a lot... If you have a lot, if you have a Raymond, 
This is how to fight. Number one, God will give you discernment. Now, Raymond's situation, they, the Spirit just dropped that on those people. But if you've got a lot, what are you going to do? Number one, what is the diagnosis situation? Get a diagnosis. Ask the question, what is the enemy's strategy against this person or against this place? In the week of prayer and fasting, we prayed about human trafficking and trafficking in this area. We prayed about it a, a couple of times. We prayed about a place. We prayed for a country, we, for someone in a country, for Christians in a country. We pl- prayed about a place. We prayed about, prayed about a person and a place. What is the enemy's strategy? Ask the Spirit to show you what is the enemy's strategy against this person or against this place. That's your diagnosis. Then secondly, you need a prognosis. My friend did not get a good prognosis. But you need to hear a prognosis from God. So we said, okay, God, what is your prognosis? For him, we were praying on that. What is your prognosis? The question for the prognosis is, what might God's better plan be? So Lot is addicted to opioids. He's from an area in West Virginia where they've discovered that they poured more Uh, pharmaceutical people were pouring more uh, drugs into that little town than could possibly ever be consumed by those people in five lifetimes. Going into uh, the uh, drug trade. So if someone is addicted to a substance, I've been addicted to a substance, I've been addicted to two substances. I was addicted to alcohol. I know what it's like to wake up in the morning and not be able just to get up and eat, that you had to drink. What, get up and drink. Get up and wake up and drink first. And the, the drive to that, the caught in that, that's an addiction. I was addicted to tobacco before we actually knew tobacco was really addictive. God instantly delivered me of alcohol addiction. It went boom. It was gone. It was gone. When I received the Holy Spirit, it was gone. He, didn't, he wasn't so kind about the tobacco addiction. I told you about how much weight I gained eating Snickers bars and how many cigarettes I bought and threw away as I'm fighting this addiction. But I'm saying, you, you may have something you're addicted to. Addiction is not fun. Do y'all know that? Your will is taken captive. And one of the things that God has given man is free will. And so the strategy of the devil is to take captive the will of man. Because if you have free will, then you can exercise it toward God. Then you can say yes to God. But if the devil gets your will and he takes captive your will, then he's going to move you and do and flail you around however he wants to flail you around and make you wish you'd never been born. 
So I hate addiction. I do seriously hate it. I come before God sometimes. Let myself remember someone I loved that I watched fight and lose. And I just let myself remember it and then I just groan in front of God and say, I hate addiction. And I want us to have an anointing in this house that will set captives free. I don't want us to be dressed up in our armor and have our little mail on so our nerves won't go crazy when and just sit there so somebody can take pictures. This is a house. I want us to break addictions. I want us to see mental illness healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lose. I want to see him lose and lose and lose. And I want to see he has their will caught, bound, that he's having his way. Oh, I want to see God do what he does. That is our desire. We have to have desire about it. We can't like, oh, please, Mr. Devil, like Cho said. I think Young, he's the one who said that one in Pastor. He was like, he started out, you know, trying to cast out devils. Please, Mr. Devil. I remember one time, Pastor asked some devil what his name was. And... I think he told you it was Yorgert, didn't he, or something? Yorgert. Yorgert. Oh, Don't ask the devil what his name is. They're liars. <laughs> Yorgert. I think, I think you said come out yogurt. Is that, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you get that name wrong, you're going to be beaten to death and have your clothes stripped off and be running wild. I remember one time uh, Jimmy was with a bunch of guys casting out. <laughs> oh, God, they were going to... Oh, this fella came, and we were having, they were having singers. I, I wasn't in singers. I, I was up there. God, no, they wouldn't let me in singers. They wanted them to sound good. And so <laughs> uh, I think they, were, they went up to somebody's apartment to pray over the person. Had him there to pray for him, and Jimmy said, I looked around, and there were seven of us. You know, and then, you know, there are people who act up and they act like they got devils, and it's kind of like a theatrical thing. And then if you ever have come up on a real devil, you'll know. The Spirit will come up in you like nobody's business, and you'll know that this is the real thing. And so, uh, oh God. Anyway, so Jimmy said, I looked around and I counted, and I thought, oh God. And I believe he said, I think I've got this right, Jimmy, tell me from where, that he checked to see was the guy between them and the door. <laughs> I think at some point when they realized, oh my goodness, what have we done here? That it was uh, not Yorgit. They were calling Yo. They were like a real devil. And every, every one of the seven each had an idea of how this should be done or how to do it. And they were... Uh, and so Jimmy was checking, can we get out the door? He just wanted to get out of there with his clothes on. <laughs> he was counting and thinking, oh God, seven cents of skiva, we're toast here. <laughs> so 
What might God's better plan be? This is a prognosis. I want to tell you God's better plan for people that are addicted to anything. That they can get up in the morning and make a decision and exercise their will to do what God wants them to do or what they want to do. Did you know a person who's addicted doesn't have a will to do what they want to do? They're, they can think, oh, I want to do this, and then hours later, mm, no, you're not going to be allowed to do that. Sorry. What might God's better plan be? That's the prognosis. You let the Spirit show you what He wants for the person you're going to set free and deliver in prayer. When you're in intercession, either for a person or a place, listen to the Spirit to tell you the enemy's strategy and what God wants to have happen. What is my better plan? And then you begin to exercise and speak forth the better plan of God. Abraham, he knew God's better plan was that Lot was not going to go uh, off somewhere. He knew God's better plan was that Lot was not going to China or wherever, off way off to the far beyond. So he took action. He did something. He interceded. He intervened. And the great everlasting intercessor came out to bless him for it. I promise you, Church of Jesus Christ, it's Shekinah in Tennessee, that when we take our place in prayer more and more and more, that everlasting great intercessor will come out and he will bless us for it. We'll see people set free. We'll have the joy of watching God move in nations and in individuals, in locations, in policy, in the things around us. We'll be able to change things and move things. And we won't just high-five each other and go, yay, did you see that? They caught some people trafficking some children. Somebody told me this weekend they went to a place that was Chinese people. It was a, a, some Chinese uh, folk that uh, did massage. And they had a little sign saying, we don't do any funny stuff in here. <laughs> well, you know, that would have probably come from the news about the, the Chinese uh, situations in uh, somewhere. Florida, West Palm Beach or Palm Beach, I get those mixed up. Uh, we don't do any funny stuff in here. So that if we, somebody caught somebody doing some funny stuff in there, in a place of business, trafficking some children or something, that we just high-five each other and say, yeah, yeah, which we will probably high-five each other a lot. Because we have seen this in the history of this church over and over again, touching nations, touching individuals, touching regions. And this will intensify because it's what God is doing in the earth. It's not because, hey, this is a great idea we came up with. It's what he's doing in the earth, and we're going to be part of it. We're not going to be in the peanut gallery watching and saying, woo look what they're doing in Indonesia. Well, God's better plan is that that comes to an end. But when he 
we see these breakthroughs, we won't just high-five each other. We'll get refreshed by the everlasting high priest. We'll get, I don't know if he high-fives. I don't know. I can see Jesus high-fiving. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Number three, what can I do? So this is not something where it's just for the lazy. What can I do, both prayerfully and practically, to stop Satan's plan? What can I do, both prayerfully and practically, to stop Satan's plan and welcome his purposes into this person or into this place? That's number three, and that's the truth do. The prognosis is what God wants in the situation. Freedom, deliverance, life. The plan, the treatment plan to make that happen. God will show you what to do, both prayerfully, in prayer, how to walk in prayer, how to function in prayer, how to fast, how to pray. I know there's a whole school of, well, I don't know if there's a whole school, but I've certainly heard it. If you've asked the prayer once, you don't ask again. It's unbelieving to ask again. You need just praise and don't ask again. Don't ask again. Well, then Jesus needs to read that. Somebody needs to go teach Jesus that, who prayed the second time for the man who was seeing his trees walking. So your prayer might be, uh, someone in the congregation told us that the Lord them about praying for a, one of their family members that they love very much. Don't pray anything but the scripture. And for however many months the person prayed the scripture, just the scripture. When they prayed for that individual, they prayed just the scripture. And then breakthrough started happening in that in that life. So God will instruct us. He is the priest. The Spirit is the one who tells us the thing, things of Jesus. That's his job. And we are the feet and the arms and the eyes and the hands and the mouth and the conduit here on the earth. Hopefully shielded with our, our insulation. Not a bunch of naked copper wires running around the earth burning people. <laughs> I just love that picture. I'm like a phlegmatic idiot about stuff. I got all kinds of wires. Jimmy has to live with this. I mean, y'all can just say a prayer for him. He's like, what is this, Jane? It's like a tall kitchen bag. It's full of electrical wiring. He's like, what is this for, Jane? I said, I'm going to strip it, Jimmy. It's got copper in it. <laughs> I started trying to strip this wiring that you put in a house down to the copper. Oh, my gosh. That was not an easy task. It certainly was no job for a little woman. And so, but anyway, he's like, I've tried. God dealt with me about get rid of your stuff. And so I have tried to get rid of the stuff that I might get an idea. Like, I'm going to strip the copper out of these wires. But just... I love to think about myself as such a one. Person on the earth that's two copper wires for Jesus. 
insulated with the, wep the weapons that he says in Ephesians. And here I am, and by God's grace, releasing the power of God in the earth and not burning people because I'm just two naked copper wires. What is the enemy's strategy against this person in place? I'm sorry, I've talked a whole hour. What might God's better plan be? What can I do both prayerfully and practically to stop Satan's plan and welcome God's purposes into this person or into this place? This is the work of Jesus, our great high priest, continually. Prayer is not a task for lazy people to avoid action. It is not a job for girls who are too weak to do anything else. Ask those 500 guys who got together to pray for Spurgeon. Not the occupation of a super spiritual. Well, I can't pray because, I mean, I don't really see stuff like Kathy got the air, like sees the angels. I don't see stuff like she does. I don't see stuff like a lot of people do. It doesn't, it's not for the super spiritual. It's for the Christian. It's for us. It's for a Christian. It's the work of Christ. It is the weapon of the occupying forces which we are. In Psalm 110, the father said to the son, Sit here. <laughs> I just heard that with an inflection today. Sit here. Sit here. I make your enemies your footstool. How's he going to do that? With him Hello? That's you all. That's us. The job of the church, while he sits, we work. While he sits, the Spirit giving us life and taking the things that are his and revealing them to us and showing us what to do and how to do, the Father is working by the power of the Holy Spirit in the church, his agency in the earth, to bring every enemy under his feet. But he did say to him, sit here. Till I make your enemies your footstool. He's going to do that through us. My people will be willing in the day of my power. Prayer is always a precursor to revival. It's on us. I want you to be encouraged and be strong. God will help us to increase in strength. Men, women, children are all called to this task of prayer and retrieval of those who have fallen into the slime pit of this present world. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so I heard last night, I said to Jimmy, Jimmy, i got to rewind this. I want you to hear. I heard telling about a prayer meeting in Indonesia. Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation on the earth. Indonesia is the fourth largest nation on the earth. Prayer meeting with three million believers in Indonesia, largest Muslim nation on the earth, praying and seeking God. There are large gatherings and groups of prayer meetings all around the world. And we want to be a part of that. We want to enter into the reality of, of the prayer that is going on. That with the amount of prayer that's going on, I'm telling you, you can be highly encouraged. Not be long until we see breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough where revival is breaking out. The largest revival that has ever been on the earth is the end time revival. And the prayer is being activated to that end at this time 
And we want to be part of that. So I want to invite you to stand. And see yourself. You are a, uh, involved in a warfare. You're in a spiritual battle. This is a war. Whether you like war or not, you're in a war. We're occupying forces. The king landed. And he left. And he left us. And the father said, sit here. Till your enemies are your footstool. And we are that army. We are that group. We are those people. So I want us just to give ourselves to this task. If you want to come forward, you feel for, free to come forward and pray. If you need prayer for anything, come forward. And some, one of the ministry team will pray with you and minister to you. But I want us to say yes to God for the place of intercession and for prayer. And I've asked Sam to play a song. And, um, because in the, in the week of prayer and fasting, we got a word about the waters seeping in and the waters rising.